0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show we have Sean Stowers, who is a learning business partner with Pearson's Accelerated Pathways business. Pearson's has over 22,000 employees operating in 70 countries and in his role, Sean works with organizations that believe learning is a strategic imperative and a crucial component of the employee value proposition. Thanks so much for joining us today, Sean.
1: Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm excited to be here.
0: Oh, we're excited to have you and Sean. So I want to start out with the phrase that comes up frequently with regards to what you guys do, which is learning as a strategic imperative. Um, I love I love what that connotes about how valuable learning is. Can you tell us a little bit about why learning as a strategic imperative drives so much of what you guys do?
1: Sure, it is a great question. And and so we uh, we really look at learning, and and where we where we're coming from is really from that idea of lifelong learning. And so um, our point of view is that there is now this opportunity for organizations to really embrace this framework for lifelong learning and that it goes beyond what organizations have typically invested in um, and really gets to saying, hey, how do we make investments that are going to be the most meaningful to the employees that we have? Um, Whether that is helping someone learn to speak English, helping them get their high school diploma, um, giving them specific training for their job role or for their next role, and ultimately investing in them and helping them advance um, into whether it's a certification or certificate or into a degree. Um, how do you help make that investment? And I think what's key about that is when you think about how organizations invest in learning, um, you know, we know that there's about $150 billion spent on what we traditionally call learning and development, um, there's another $20 billion spent inside of organizations, just on tuition assistance. And, and I think what we believe is that there are places where those those investments come together and at least the strategic framework for how do you decide what do you invest in should come together between those two investments.
0: And what's, what's been a big change in the environment that you've seen, or has that been a pretty steady state over the last couple of years? Or have you noticed that organizations and individuals have gone in a, in a drastically different direction recently?
1: Yeah, so I wouldn't say drastically different, but I do think what has changed is in a number of industries, as the economy has done better, um, and um, we in we were in a period of lower unemployment and and, and the need for talent, in certain industries, it got tighter. Um, I think organizations began to um, look and say, what are the things that we need to do differently to attract, retain, and keep, and develop employees? And so I think that we've seen organizations begin to make investments in education in populations that they haven't. Um, you know, a great example of that is McDonald's in their Archways to Opportunity program, which is, if you look at it, really an investment in their frontline workers, um, helping them get a college diploma, helping them get learn to speak English, helping them on the pathway to, their, uh, to a college degree. And I think McDonald's was really um, on the forefront of that work. Um, and we're seeing that cascade into a number of industries and um, in, in organizations where those frontline employees, which are the lifeblood of the organization, which have traditionally turned over at really high levels, um, organizations are now rethinking how they invest in education and learning beyond teaching those those individuals how to do their job. Um, it's really about how do we help them advance in their career, in their life.
0: Hmm. I love I love the idea of advancement. And, and obviously, when, when you all start working with an organization or an organization like McDonald's or anybody decides to make a, a drastic decision like that a one heck of an investment, what are kind of the risks that they're weighing? How do they make the decision that I mean, it's obviously there's a cost associated with it. There's a, a human capital associated with it in terms of the amount of, of effort that needs to go into it. How are they weighing those risks? Yeah
1: yeah you know i'm that's a great question and and i think you've hit the nail on the head i have to say that the biggest thing that comes up in in these sort of conversations about these sort of benefits is there there is this n- a natural fear of there's going to be a run on the bank of mm. what happens if we offer this and then everybody signs up for it and 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 the reality is is we've just never seen it um you know and and it, we've never seen it for a number of reasons right I think number one is we've never seen it because you know there these programs still require an investment of the individuals, so um folks may raise their hands, but once they figure out what's in what's um in you know what is in store for them in terms of what they have to commit to the program, um they self select out right um there there are other you know reasons that folks may not make it through the process, but at the end of the day. You know, we've never seen that run on the bank, but that's actually the number one fear that we run into with organizations of going. What happens if we offer this? And then everybody wants it. Um, I think that the second, the second piece, which is really interesting, is um, there are t- a lot of times in these conversations um, with our our partners, we find that there's a moment where you know organizations have to admit that they don't know what they don't know. Um, so a lot of organizations don't know the level of education that exists inside of the organization, particularly if they're frontline workers. Um, so you don't necessarily, we, we run into organizations that don't know that every one of their employees actually have a high school diploma. Um, and you know there's some assumptions around that. And so I think one of the things that we we help do is saying, hey, how do we break down some of these assumptions and how do we get to the underlying data? I'd say the last thing that, that, that really weighs in these conversations is really, t- you begin to get into some conversations around um, access to technology and, and certainly um, what is the role of the organization as it relates to providing access to technology to perhaps parts of the population that don't t- traditionally have access. Um, so in some cases, you know that is um, working to make computer labs and, and access to technology available off shift. Um, we've seen that with certain employers. Um, We've seen other employers who have identified resources that uh, their employees can utilize in order to obtain technology. And certainly, you know, there's just some good old fashioned like, hey, you know what, this is a, we're giving you this benefit. You begin to find some access to technology, whether that's in your own personal life or, you know, through a local library, et cetera. You see a range of those things. But I do think there's some interesting conversations around that.
0: Hmm. You So you mentioned organizations giving to their um, staff and, and then there is there a level of reciprocity? Do you find that a lot of organizations say, you know, if we make this investment, we're planning for you to stay with us for an extra six months, two yeah. years. I know some programs offer that. Do you guys have a perspective on that or anything that you've seen that's been really successful?
1: Yeah. You know what? I really appreciate you asking that. Because we do know that traditionally in some of these educational assistance policies, there have been those, what we would call a clawback clause or, you know, some sort of clause that says, hey, you're going to stay for a certain amount of time. Um, Our point of view has been that we actually don't think that that's the best practice. Um, And, and, and and let's, let's look at why, right? So, so while you're, you, you are giving this investment, um, you're likely keeping an individual longer right? And particularly in a high turnover role, you know, the difference between someone being with you for three months versus six months, nine months, or a year, you know, has a significant impact on on, on your cost of turnover. Um, but, but the reality is, is that you're never going to promote all of those frontline workers who take advantage of those benefits up into the organization. You only still have so many positions to fill. And so, you know, we would, we, and, and you're not guaranteeing that promotion. So we, we don't believe that having that sort of clawback is necessarily uh, best practice. We, we do think that um, we, we typically focus on some other things. Um, and so we would, you know, we know that organizations have that as part of their policies. We don't necessarily recommend that as a best practice.
0: Hmm. So as a, you're obviously, you're in this field, you deal with it day and day, but you're also obviously a practitioner and a leader in your own space. What what sort of training are you looking for? Like, what are the skills that you're looking to to better for yourself today, tomorrow, and in the future?
1: Yeah, you know what, I so appreciate that. Um, you know, I often say, and, and Matt, you may relate to this, that, you know, when I go and look for my professional development, it's not, I don't typically find it in the LMS. Um And so, you know, I think where I've focused my um, professional development and where I'm seeking out, um, you know, developmental opportunities, it's around human capital strategy. It's around um, forming the employee value proposition, because I think education and learning is such a, um, and, and, and certainly this concept of lifelong learning and how organizations support that. Um, is such an important part of the employee value proposition. And I don't think we've gotten it right, right? I think we, we spend a lot of time on understanding the discretionary benefits, compensation and benefit, and et cetera, in terms of um, what that does to the EVP, but I don't think we've completely looked at education. So I'm, I'm looking for developmental experiences there. Um, and I think ultimately, you know, uh, looking for, you know, how to connect that back to the organizational strategy and ultimately the business case. Hmm.
0: So I'll ask one of my questions that I always love to talk about is kind of a defining moment. And I guess I'll ask it for yourself personally, but maybe also for for your organization or for the work that you specifically do. Is there something that has really defined um, getting you to the place you are today or getting your organization to the place that it is where it can offer the level of service where an organization, you know, like a McDonald's, for example, can deliver at scale to really better their employees?
1: Yeah, well, you know what? I'll answer it in two ways. I'll answer it for myself, and I'll give my perspective on on Pearson because I've been with Pearson for so long. I, I think for myself, what's enabled kind of my what's gotten me here to to where I am today um, has actually been the fact that I've always been a student of the profession. So I'm a practitioner. I've 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 been in this field for going on twenty years. Um, but I've always been a student of the profession. I'm always curious about what makes what we do work and, 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 and how does it impact um, organizations? And I think that, you know, keeping that curiosity and kind of always remaining a student um, it's great to be an expert and, and I'm expert in a lot of things, but I, I always try to remain grounded as a student of the profession and to, to, to always learn what's new Um so certainly that I think helped me make the pivot to this particular space about three years ago when we as Pearson kind of moved into this space. Um, I think what what, arrived, what helped Pearson arrive to this moment to for the work that my group does is really that, uh, I think it's been a, a laser-like focus as an organization that we are the world's learning organization and that we enable learning at all um, points in, in, in an individual's life. Um, from K-12 to higher education to, you know, what it means to be uh, a working adult. Um, And that this was a a great natural extension of that in the world of working within corporations. And I think it was also, you know, the right inflection point where organizations were beginning to look at at this more strategically. Um, So I think that's how we, we kind of arrived at this moment. So great question.
0: No, I I love that answer. So is there, you've been in this field for a while, you're you're at the kind of cutting edge in many ways of, of what some organizations are choosing to do. Is there a commonly held belief around what it takes to develop the leaders of tomorrow that you maybe even disagree with or that you think we should be taking things in a different direction?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that there's a commonly held belief about developing leaders. I think, um, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting is I think so much of what we've done for leaders has been um, the belief that it's this, you know, in-person, face-to-face event, those sort of things. And I think that those, some of those assumptions are going to continue to get challenged, that I think that there's a way to build. I mean, we work in such an interconnected virtual world today. I think there are ways to develop leaders. Um, I think folks like, you know, your organization are at the forefront of some of that. Um, of how do you how do you develop leaders in a virtual modality um, so i I just think that you know maybe some of the assumptions around large format um, live events might change um, you know, I think those sort of things
0: hmm. I think that's fascinating. I think it's gonna be interesting to see what how we can reach people all around the world and the democratization of learning and the ability to get information at a moment's notice, but that also to be able to share and disseminate that globally and get yep. feedback is going to continue to be fascinating. So as we kind of wrap up here, I have a few more questions. One of them is, you know, I'm just always curious, you know, you've been at Pearson's now for over 10 years. What do you wish you had known when you had started out? What would you tell somebody who was just starting their career, wanted to get into this field? What would be the the piece of feedback you would give them?
1: Um, Just know that it's going to be a really interesting ride, that you're going to see a ton of change and evolution. And um, don't don't pigeonhole yourself into any one thing. Um, Be open to where the ride's going to take you.
0: Hmm. I love that I love that, and I would probably uh second that um, wholeheartedly and then if you you know if you just found out that you were working with a new leader, obviously we're doing this show all about the the path of and the journey that we're all on taking learning to lead if if you just found out that you were working with a new leader and you could kind of snap your fingers let's say and give them one trait, um, what would that trait be that you would give them? Curiosity. Curiosity. I love it. Okay. And that will lead us perfectly into the final two questions, which are also kind of rapid fire in nature. Um, we ask all of our guests this. So um, question number one is this, if you could describe your own leadership style, so not what you want in the other leader, but if you could describe your own leadership style in one word, what would it be?
1: Tribal. Ooh,
0: I, I love that one too. I, uh, curiosity and tribal. I love that. And then our final um, rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received?
1: Be kind.
0: I love the answers. I love the succinctness, Sean. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Where can people find out more about you?
1: Yeah, you know what? I'm a, I'm big on link. I'm a big LinkedIn person, so you can find me on LinkedIn, and I uh, would love to hear from anyone or just connect.
0: Well, Sean, thank you so much. I want to thank all the listeners for joining us. Um, You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer, and you can find our organization Ability. That is A-B-I-L-I-T-I-E at Ability.com. And we will have full show notes for this episode and all of the other episodes. We've absolutely loved the feedback so far. So if you're interested in getting in touch, please send us an email at hello at ability.com and if you enjoyed today's show we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice and we truly appreciate you sharing our show with your network be sure to subscribe so that you get our next episode and i want to thank you all for joining us on the learn to lead podcast